Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Forgive me, dear. I can't cry. I don't know what it is, but I can't cry. (laughs) I don't understand it. Why did you ever do that? Help me, Willie. I can't cry. (laughs) It seems to me that you're just on another trip. I keep expecting you. Willie, dear, I can't cry. Why did you do it? (laughs) I search and search and I search and I can't understand it, Willie. I made the last payment on the house today. (laughs) Today, dear, and there'll be nobody. (laughs) Hey, could you guys stop that? You people have been laughing all night and this is a tragedy. Death of a salesman, you know, death. So not funny because death. (laughs) This is not part of the play. This is not some postmodern movement in the play where the character talks to you. (laughs) And this is not a post-postmodern point in the play where the character who talks to you says she's not talking to you. (laughs) Although that would be potentially interesting. Has anybody done that before? You know what? Go ahead and laugh. (laughs) We're free and clear. We're free. We're free. We're free. Thank you very much. You've been a wonderful audience, or alternatively, a bunch of insensitive idiots. So get ready for a show about the blurred lines of comedy and drama. And now he still believes the Buddy Hackett Macbeth was the best one ever staged. Colin McEnroe. Well, it's right up there with the Nipsey Russell Othello, anyway. Uh, you know, to rank them both together. But you know, back to Beth of, Death of a Salesman for a second. You know, the essential themes of that play—the stifling of the American dream, the grinding humiliations of uh, the American middle-class work life are not that different from, say, Office Space, you know, which is a comedy, or for that matter, The Consultant, uh, Heidi Schreck's comedy drama now playing at the Long Wharf in New Haven. So much of this is sort of about how the material is approached, right? Meanwhile, moving up from the Long Wharf Theater and opening now at the Hartford Stage Company is The Underpants, which is the story of a beautiful young woman married to an indifferent older man. Uh, She welcomes the sexual attentions of a younger, more vital guy. Which is also the plot of The Postman Always Rings Twice, Body Heat, and probably a bunch of Harold Pinter plays that I don't remember or have never seen, you know, which are fundamentally tragic in nature. So, you know, it really isn't the plot. Um, You know, The Underpants also deals with the themes, again, of humiliation, of one person being defined by by a grotesquely humiliating moment where, in fact, her underpants are seen. so what makes something funny? You know, why is something one thing a comedy? Why is another thing a tragedy? And, and how many things increasingly live in that kind of blurry line in between? Uh, I think you probably say this in particular about the consultant. You'll be meeting the playwright or the consultant in just a second. I want to introduce you to everybody uh, that were – actually, I want to introduce you to everybody. So I'm just going to go alphabetically through the human race. It will take uh, quite a while. But no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to the people who are actually participating in this show. In studio, uh, Brooke Moses uh, is a stage, film, and television actor. 
Theater. He is currently performing in the Hartford Stages, The Underpants. This is a Steve Martin adaptation from a play by Carl Sternheim. It's running through February 9th. Also with us is Didi Khan, a stage film and, under, and te- an underpants actress, I was about to say, <laughs> a television actress. She is an underpants actress as well, also. Uh, she's, uh, I've already lost control of this show. Uh, the Hartford Stage production of uh, The Underpants. She's also in it. You also probably, what fi- follows her around, obviously, uh, is uh, the role of Frenchie in Greece, and she also appeared in Benson, which is interesting because the character Benson is being introduced halfway through uh, to Downton Abbey this year. He's going to join, actually, the domestic <laughs> staff uh, of Downton Abbey. The person you just heard uh, laugh in a kind of sympathetic way is Mike Reese. He's a comedy writer, producer for The Simpsons, co-creator of The Critic, and contributor to many screenplays, and also a playwright. His plays include I'm Connecticut, Rubble, and uh, most currently, Comedy is Hard. Heidi Schreck, I already mentioned her, playwright whose new play, The Consultant, opened last night at the Long Wharf Theater, also running through February 9th. So we're going to talk about comedy today. We're going to talk about, I, first of all, I wanted to say a little bit about the, or get these people to say a little bit about the premises of these plays. Um, so I'm going to start with the people in studio. Um, and and so, I mean, uh, maybe you can sort of do this, you can tag team this somehow, but Burke Mises, explain what it is we're seeing. We're seeing a, a show that's farcical and absurd. What's it really about? What are the, what, what are people laughing at in, the, in this show? And I was there last night and people were laughing very hard. Uh, well, they're laughing at the writing. Mm. Writing's everything in comedy. And <laughs> uh, our show, I guess, the sort of theme is uh, sort of your 15 minutes of fame. Sort of like, a, you know, the Kim Kardashian sex video. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're a big star and you've got a reality show. And I think uh, Jenny, our gal who's playing an actress, has a reality show coming up. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. Well, you know, he says, Didi Khan, that it's yeah. about the writing. On the other hand, you, you have a scene in the show where you're kind of walking towards a room where conceivably you're about to have an, a sexual assignation with one, with one of the other characters. I don't know what it says in the script, <laughs> yeah. but you get about 20 laughs just sort of walking across in making noises, <laughs> lusty noises. I have lost my underwear. I don't care. I'll go bare. Bye, bye, Long John. <laughs> they were very dear to me. Tickled me. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of work to draw these people out. But well, I think no, I can no. do it. I think it's the unexpected, you know. With that particular moment in the play, mm. um, there's a little game that uh, Viola Spolin, who um, uh, was the mother of Paul Sills that started Second City, mm. you know. Uh, it's an improvisational game called What's Beyond. So I just imagine what's beyond that door is something really delicious, you know, <laughs> and uh, until I realized that the devil might get me, you know, and that I really have my allegiance to the sweet young girl whose husband is about to do everything to me, uh, uh, you know, so it's the comedy, I think, just comes out of truth because of sometimes when I would just try to be funny, you might get the laughs, but it's not the play, you know, the play is the action Going through with the action in an unexpected way, I think, is what brings the the comedy. You know, we're going to talk about this a lot over the course of the show with all the guests, but just since it's sort of coming up right now, there is also, you guys have worked in other media, too, and and there is something about stage, right, where there is, there's kind of a moment of truth on stage where you you know, you know, you will will find out whether you're being funny, whether the idea you have is funny, whether the material you're working with is funny, and whether your take on it, your delivery of it is funny in a way that you won't know in, in almost any other medium that you could act in, right? Oh, on stage, failure is immediate, and you know it immediately, which is the difference between drama and comedy on stage. Uh, it's, you know, there's nothing like, uh, I mean, drama can definitely get your heart race, 
Remember going. When, when you said when you first read the play, what was funny to you about it when you first read it? Well, George's last line, which I can't say on, on the air here, was the funniest thing. I literally <laughs> almost just threw up my... So what happens when you read the play, <clears throat> you feel where the humor is. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel where the comedy is. And with Steve Martin, you know, you've got smart and you've got very silly. Mm-hmm. So finding that combination of style in this play was a lot of fun during rehearsal. And when we can make each other laugh, usually that'll work with the audience. Yeah, until it, you get out there and all you hear is crickets. You know? <laughs> what works in the rehearsal hall doesn't always work in, in the theater. You can, be, you can be crying with laughter in the rehearsal hall. You get out there and it's just like, reading, reading, reading. <laughs> no, it's, uh, well, you know, Mike, as you're listening to that, I mean, uh, obviously that you, you can relate. And this is a choice that you made. I can to... sure relate to the crickets, yeah. <laughs> no, you, this is a choice that you made. You have, you've already had this fabulous career writing for The Simpsons, writing for all kinds of other stuff. You've, oh, you know, they're looking around for you right now. Mike's in a studio in New York City. That's why you can Oh, see. hi, Mike. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I thought that was part of the comedy. I'm looking <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, I'm a ventriloquist, actually. Um, and, and so you already had this incredible career and screenplays and this and that. I mean, you didn't have to write for the stage. And, and and yet you do, and I would imagine there is that kind of moment of truth too. You you don't really necessarily know on it for any given line in The Simpsons or anywhere else what's getting a laugh, what's working, how it's working in the way that you do standing at the back of a theater. Correct. Although I'll tell you a quick story how I got into theater, which is I had this idea for a one act play, and I wrote it. I'll even tell you, I, my wife and I were, were going to see, wait, try, we were on the cancellation line for Waiting for Godot in London, and we're waiting for two hours, and I said to my wife, I said, hey, this could be a play, Waiting for Waiting for Godot, wouldn't that be funny? And my wife, she said a very interesting thing, she said, no. And, uh, but I wrote the play anyhow, and I met someone who said, yeah, I'll stage that, Waiting for Waiting for Godot, and we went, and... They did the first line of the play, and it got this huge laugh. And I remember standing in the theater going, it's not that funny. And <laughs> there's something about theater where I, I know you bomb a lot, but theater audiences want to laugh. They came there. They paid a lot of money. They dressed up. Mm-hmm. They laugh. They laugh at stuff they really shouldn't be laughing at. Well, that, that's an unusually... Until they don't. Yeah, until, until they yeah, don't. Exactly. I think I saw that version of Godot. Was this the Ben Kingsley one? <laughs> the, um, we should add uh, Heidi Schreck to this conversation as well. As I said, her play, The Consultant, uh, opened last night at Long Wharf Theater. You know, um, Heidi Schreck, this play is being described by lots of people as hilarious, although I gather you don't necessarily define this play. In fact, you don't define this play as a comedy. Well, yes. First, I have to say, I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons. I'm so excited to be on this show. Oh. Um, but I, uh, I, I don't consider myself a comedy writer. I have such huge respect for people who actually know how to do that, and, and that's not what I do. So I'm a little hesitant uh, to describe it as a comedy. Um, it's a play about people's lives falling apart during the recession, uh, and it turns out that it's very funny because uh, sometimes when people's lives are falling apart, a lot of funny things happen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think the humor in my play comes from people fighting absurdly hard to be happy in in uh, the middle of a miserable time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you should just quickly give people a sense of what the play is about. Uh, so the play it takes place in a pharmaceutical advertising company in 2009, and it's it's basically 
uh, watching a bunch of people, watching a workplace fall apart uh, as people get laid off and fired and uh, have nervous breakdowns and sort of struggle to survive uh, while their sort of the ground is crumbling uh, under their feet. And so it's a, it's a little family story, basically about five people at this workplace who are trying to survive. You know, I, just in you're describing this, we're coming back to the, the, the thing I said at the beginning of this, and I'd love to get some other reactions to this, uh, and I'll start with you, Mike. You know, it sort of is true that the plot of any comedy, uh, the plot of anything that that's funny, could just as easily be a tragedy. I mean, uh, the ones that cross my mind today, you know, people who, who are dealing with an incredibly dangerous leopard uh, that they think is a pet. Um, you know, I mean, that could go the other way. It doesn't have to be bringing up baby. Uh, but uh-huh. a, a guy who is so desperately out of work as an actor that he dresses up as a woman uh, and then falls in love with his co-star and winds up betraying and hurting her and her father on multiple levels. You know, that could be a pretty sad play or a movie. I mean, it's Tootsie. Uh, and for that matter, the guys in um, in Some Like It Hot, They've watched the Valentine's Day massacre. They think they're about to be murdered by the mob. <laughs> so if you just say that, kind of the way Heidi was just saying the plot of uh, of her play, that play sounds upsetting and depressing, except that it's all, it's, it's something else, right, that decides whether something's funny or not. Yeah, sure. And uh, I was thinking even of the flip side of this, sort of uh, midnight movies like Mommy Dearest or... <laughs> reefer madness where these things are utterly earnest and yet they only play as comedy they they play so beautifully as comedy just because they suck so bad <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm interested to in the actors here in the studio i mean even doing the underpants uh burke and Didi, do you are there moments where you're sort of puzzled by what gets the biggest laugh and what doesn't get a laugh? Kind of the way Mike's saying he's standing in the back of the theater going, well, it really wasn't that funny. I mean, are there moments where the audience's reaction isn't the same as what you thought? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only yeah. once when we yeah. had we had uh, high school students there. And the funniest line, a sure line, is <laughs> when this Barbers is in in the story, he's mm-hmm. trying to keep... Burke's character from from having uh, relations with the the you leading lady. You can say lady. sex on public. Oh, you can say, you can say okay. sex. Yeah. And uh, he says, uh, Burke says, "Who are you?" And he says, "I, sir, am your prophylactic." Read it, read it. And when the kids were there, they didn't know what that was. <laughs> he says, "I, sir, am your rubber." No, mm-hmm. and that would have gotten a big laugh. So that was kind of interesting to yeah. us that it got nothing. I think comedy is a lot like surfing. You know, uh, you you get a wave and you kind of try and ride it, and so it, it's different every night. It's 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 a, there's an edge to comedy, mm-hmm. and uh, some days you catch it, and some days you don't. Heidi, are you having that um, that reaction too with with the audiences seeing the consultant? In other words, um, you may see it as kind of straddling a line between comedy and drama, but our audiences, you know, even back to Mike's point that sometimes people get dressed up and they just want to have a good time and they'll laugh at stuff that maybe you don't even think is all that funny. Uh, yes, it's it's um it's a tricky thing about the play um, because if the audiences uh, it's the audiences are raucous and they laugh at everything and then they're so happy that it's this funny comedy and it uh, the play takes a, a pretty dark turn near the end and and so it's a little bit of a balance. Some nights I'm like, please stop laughing so much, please stop laughing, or you won't uh, you won't get to the end of this story. Um, so yeah, sometimes I actually wish 
they didn't laugh as much. <laughs> All right. Well, consider yourself instructed out there, potential Longworth Theater audiences. By the way, if you want to be part of this conversation, 860-275-7266, that's the number to call. We are live. Uh, Brooke was shocked to hear uh, here in the afternoon, 860-275-7266. You may tweet us. Greg Hill, our tweet master, is in there at WNPR Colin. He will tweet back at you. Uh, all kinds of things may happen. Why don't we take a quick break? I want to come back and talk a little bit about, actually, this, the, the title of Mike's next play, Comedy is Hard, uh, might be an interesting place for us to go. Always makes me smile, and that is halfway to a grin. Let the grin begin, precluding the mood I'm in. You should have been on a sitcom's comedy stand. We're back. We're talking about a life on stage, specifically a life on stage that occasionally produces laughter from the audience. Uh, and so that's comedy, I guess. Uh, with us, Mike Reeves, comedy writer and producer for The Simpsons and author of several plays, including one we're going to talk about in just a second, Comedy is Hard. Heidi Schreck's play, The Consultant, is at uh, the Long Wharf Theater right now, running through February 9th, in studio with me, actors Burke Moses and Dee Dee Khan. They're in the underpants. You just heard a promo for that, I think. Uh, that also runs through February 9th. It's a Steve Martin adaptation uh, from the play by Carl Sternheim. Steve Martin's also here uh, today, but he's just asked not to. He just wants to listen. He doesn't want to say anything. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have to respect that, but anyway, he is here. Um, so, um, Mike Reese, th that, that, that title, Comedy is Hard, um, actually sort of comes from one of these quotes that nobody really knows who said uh, it's that whole dying is easy, comedy is hard line, which I think is attributed to Edmund Keen, and I think uh, Jim Carrey just a attributed it the other day to Shia LaBeouf, and I don't really know <laughs> who actually said it. Um, but first of all, does it ring true to you? I mean, do you, do you, as somebody who spent his entire life writing comedy, is it is it a hard thing to do? Nah. <laughs> would, you nah. Care, would you care to elaborate? The whole premise, I mean, who, who would write a line like that? A comedy writer would say something like that. Yeah, well, what we do, and in fact, this is the debate in the play between an aging comedian and an old dramatic actress, and he says comedy is hard, and and uh, and she takes great offense to that saying. So you're saying Laurence Olivier is not as good as Jerry Lewis, and <laughs> there's hilarity ensues. And uh, but that's it. It's uh, comedy's hard, just in that it's got to be funny. It's got to get a laugh, and you can get a laugh, and then hey, two seconds later you need another laugh, and uh, so it's a little bit of a grind that that way. But I don't know how people write drama. How do you go, oh, gee, that got a, you know, an emotional movement from the audience. Oh, oh, wow, their silence is really giving me feedback. Well, you ha you have to steer by a different set of stars, right? I mean, you have to... Uh, I should ask, well, you guys, I'll ask the actors here because yeah. they alternate between those things. Uh, Didi, go ahead and react to that. Well, I had a very, very interesting... Uh, uh, very worthwhile experience of working on Lost in Yonkers when it was first being done. I mean, I took a job that I never took and I'll never take again, which was standing by for the leading role. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're standing by, it's terrible, especially when you've been in something popular and people recognize you. They say, what are you doing? You know, oh, I'm standing by for Mercedes Rule. Oh, uh, bring it. Bring her to my beauty parlor. I'll put dye in her hair. She'll forget all her lines. You know, everybody had a way of killing her off. You know? <laughs> anyway, but the point was that Neil Simon had, to that point, 
um, a certain rhythm of where jokes were going to come, how many were per page. And he absolutely kept cutting joke after joke after joke to keep the through line of the story going and the drama of the story going. And it was fascinating to watch. And I think that's why he won the Pulitzer that year, because he he didn't feel that he had to um, live up to expectation. He went for the story, and uh, it was very, very exciting to watch. Hmm. And Heidi, I wonder if you want to react to Mike, too. So you're not necessarily starting out with the idea of, of writing a comedy. In fact, you're not. So, so you know, to, to Mike's uh, blunt question of sort of how do you evaluate what you're doing, he can evaluate what he's doing in terms of whether people think it's funny or not. How do you evaluate? What, what set of stars do you steer by? a great question. I, can I do, do, uh, take a little detour? You know, I'm also an actor, and I just did a comedy of Errors of Summer and Shakespeare in the Park, and recently did um, uh, a Neil Simon play at Williamstown, uh, speaking of Neil Simon, Last of the Red Hot Lovers, and I actually find his place deeply uh, tragic, <laughs> and I think that's part of what makes him so funny. I, that playing, um, doing Last of the Red Hot Lovers, I think was probably the darkest, saddest place I had to go to in, in my career, and the audience found it hilarious. I think that that's... Oop, I think we're losing Heidi. Uh, so why don't we... Uh, um, here, I'm going to put her on hold. That, that was probably a really important observation, too, but something just happened <laughs> telephonically. I'm going to put her on hold. You guys uh, will have our, our crack team in the control room uh, try to get her back. Um, you know... Well, uh, did anybody want to react to that, though? And, Burke, I didn't really hear from you about that whole... I mean, you said earlier in the conversation, you said, really, the difference between tragedy and comedy is the thing we were talking, the thing that Mike's talking about. Um, well, Betty White's got a great quote. She said, uh, in a way, drama's easier because in comedy, if you don't get a laugh, something's wrong. Mm. So, I mean, you can fake drama. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can. You can really fake. You can actually sit there. If you've got a good storyline, at the end of the day, you can just sit there and stare at the audience, and the audience will fill in the rest. They will project onto your character. But nobody projects something funny onto your character, I mean, in that sort of sort of way. And Dee Dee was talking before about this, this long uh, entrance she's got going up the stairs, right? But without the story beforehand... That 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 die, that falls flat. So in, in, at the end of the day, it always comes down to the writing, and and the, and the strength of the storyline. You know, one of the things that I was trying to figure out as we got ready for this show today, and I was unsuccessful in figuring it out, is is I, I, and I talked to a bunch of people, including people like Howard Sherman from the American Theater Wing, about this and stuff, is whether or not there are as many stage comedies being written now proportional to the number of plays that are written. That, that you know, when, when, I don't know, when the public theater, you know, looks for plays for its under-the-radar series or something like that, whatever it is, whether there are as many comedies, workable, stageable comedies, as there are other kinds of things. Um, and, and it does seem to me one of the interesting things, one of the commonalities about uh, everybody who we're talking to today, Burke and Dee Dee are in a show right now that is adapted by Steve Martin, who first you know, came into his own on television as a television writer, as a television performer. Uh, Mike obviously wrote for television. Heidi, we haven't even mentioned this, uh, has written for, and me, for all I know, still write for, Nurse Jackie. Um, so, um, Mike, maybe you can sort of start out this conversation here. It feels as though probably the other half of that statement is that most people's comic sensibilities in 2014 are shaped more by everything that they watch on television than anything that they see anywhere else. And and I, I would also just sort of add to the, the list that I just gave that, I mean, I think the funniest play I've seen in five years 
and maybe longer is Book of Mormon, uh, which is also written by two theatrical naifs who who come out of the world of television. So first, Mike, react to that a little bit. Why? Why? What's the role of television? What kind of pressure is it putting on the world of stage comedy? Yeah, I think you got it all backwards. As usual. And now I'm going to have my mic break up and everyone can discuss this. No, it's, I was in a producer's office and I'm looking at he's pointing with pride to everything he's produced. And there's Book of Mormon and the producers and Spamalot. And I said, you know what they have in common? And he said, what? And he said, they were all written by TV writers. And they're all written by TV, people who started off in TV. Neil Simon's name keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. He started in TV, the guy who wrote funny thing happened on the way to the forum. The guy who wrote Fiddler on the Roof, they all started in television. And I, I, I don't think it has to do with people's sensibility as much as TV gives you a lot of practice and gets puts you in front of an audience a lot. You rack up a lot of hours just seeing what people like, what they react to. And it, it hit me. I was comparing myself to Tom Stoppard, as I usually do. And... Uh, <laughs> And I said to him, I said, Tom Stoppard has been writing plays for 50 years, and I'll bet he has 30 hours of produced material. And that's what he can learn from the 30 hours of stuff he put out there. I've been writing half as long, and I have 500 hours of produced material. So what I'm saying is I'm 17 times as good as Tom Stoppard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, well, you know, another thing that The Simpsons did periodically was kind of make fun of theater, too. And, uh, in fact, right. we're going to play a little bit of a clip from uh, – can we find the, uh, uh, the Planet of the Apes clip there? I'll play this from The Simpsons. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. I hate every ape I see from chimpan A to chimpanzee. No, you'll never make a monkey out of me. Oh, my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. That's great. That's hilarious. So that's, they're always making fun of musical comedy. Yes. Right? It's always musical yeah. comedy. And why are they doing that, Mike? Why are they doing that, Mike? Why are they doing... You know, the, the real reason we do songs and episodes is because once you write them, you don't change them. And that's it. Every, every joke on The Simpsons gets rewritten eight times. But if you put a song in... You go, well, that's five minutes we don't have to worry about again. <laughs> <laughs> this is how art is made. <laughs> well, we'll circle back to that in a second but um, because I think that's too facile an answer, and I, I could pry another one out of you. But, you know, I want to stay with the, <laughs> with, with the television question for a second, and I think we've got Heidi back, so I'm going to bring her up in just a second. But before we do that, so, Burke and Didi, you guys are now reading lines that are written by Steve Martin. And as I was sitting there last night in the audience – 
occasionally I would sort of hear Steve Martin, right? Yes, yeah. sure. Banjos. Yeah. There's always barbers. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and even sort of in the framing and phrasing uh, of certain things, I, I felt like occasionally I would hear that. And, I mean, first of all, that must be kind of also a specific challenge for you, reading a script, interpreting a script, because you want to get away to a certain degree from Steve Martin's voice, right? Uh, well, I, 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 my voice is much lower than Steve Martin's, <laughs> so... Uh, Yes, I do. Otherwise, I, I'd be. I, 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 his his stuff is just great. I find it, you know, because all of a sudden you'll be talking of this great philosophical argument, and then next thing you know, you're you're putting an arrow through your head. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you know you really want to honor his his sensibility when you're doing his play. You're feeling his manner of of humor that you're setting something up that seems it's one way, and then it really turns out to be quite different. You know? But going back to what you were saying about television mm-hmm. uh, writers, uh, you know, like Neil Simon, uh, Mel Brooks, writing for the, your show of shows that was live, you know, uh, it was like theater. You know, everything was live, was immediate. Mm-hmm. They learned to write fast. And uh, so maybe that's where the tradition really was born, in in writing for live television. And what really drew me to this play was the fact I didn't have to wear the green suit in The Grinch That Stole Christmas, and so the second (laughs) I picked it up, I said, I'm going to do the underpants. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've reestablished our communications with uh, Heidi Schreck. So uh, I wanted to ask you the television question. Obviously, that's another place that you've worked. You've worked uh, on Nurse Jackie, which I I think also, you know, people understand to be a very funny show that's also about pretty serious themes, and and obviously she has a gigantic drug problem and stuff like that. um, but, I mean, I want to react. I don't know how much of you heard of what Mike said, but to what degree is television an interesting crucible for you for the kind of writing you're doing for the stage now? Uh, I, I agree with everything Mike said. It's a, it's been a huge uh, learning experience for me. Uh, the main thing I learned was to stop being so precious about my own work. Um, you really have to put everything to the test. You have a group of people who are responding right away to your um, to your writing, and you for me, I learned to stop taking things personally and really just concentrate on making the work better, um, which was a great lesson for me as a playwright. Um, I also think learning to work that quickly and that efficiently is, uh, has been really helpful to me. You know, uh, Mike, uh, one thing I know about you is you're a voracious voracious consumer uh, of culture, whether it's plays or, yeah. or movies. And so you see everything. And and one of the things that one of the other kind of themes that comes out in The Simpsons periodically is that that's, that certain things that other people think are funny uh, are not that funny. Um, ranging from, I, I think at one point, Garrison Keillor's on television and Homer pounds the TV and says, stupid TV, be funnier. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so w- when you go to plays that are supposed to be funny, I mean, do you find them funny? Do you think they're as funny as what's on television? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> a written, case in point, uh, uh, I, I know uh, Christopher Durang is a big fan of this show. Oh, so, he does, uh, yeah. yeah. So this is going to really hurt his feelings. Uh, mm. He had this play, Masha and Sonia and Spike and Alice. I don't know what the hell it was. And this thing was just awful. This thing, it was it was a, a three-hour Carol Burnett show sketch, and this thing was so awful it won the Tony for best play. And uh, and there was there's a sequence in it where and the audience was laughing. I cannot deny it. But again, this is my theory that oh, they read a good review and they paid 150 bucks and. If they're not laughing, they're they they're going to feel like idiots. But there's a sequence where a woman goes, 
she goes, I'd like some tea. And the other woman <laughs> says, well, that herbal or Earl Grey? And she says, I think I'll have herbal. Every one of those lines got a huge laugh. And I couldn't believe it. And then I felt this hand on my shoulder, and it was my wife, because I had stood up in the theater, <laughs> and I was, I was about to go, what are you people laughing at? Well, some some of that, of course, is subjective. Um, I, in fact, I, we were we were we were coming home from the Underpants last night, which I liked quite a lot, and I especially loved all the acting in it. But I was saying to my significant other, you know, there are probably a few too many wiener jokes that I found a little bit too broad. And too she, many wiener jokes. Yeah, and, she, and, and they were kind of a little bit too broad. And she looked at me. She goes, "You really, really love masturbating bear on the Conan O'Brien show," uh, and, which is true. I could just be walking down the street and start thinking about masturbating bear, and I will start laughing. Um, and it kind of we drove in silence for a while after that because uh, there really is no way that you can really respond to that. I mean, people, you know, people. I mean, we're, we we are all different. But what you're saying, basically, anyway, is that that playwrights are able to take advantage of... I think, see, most playwrights and most actors feel the opposite uh, from what you do, Mike. I feel like they feel uh -huh. like they're, they're at the mercy of this audience, which may not laugh, which will be this incredibly punishing, grinding, mortifying experience. Whereas you think, uh, basically, that they're already wired, uh, they're pre-wired to, to, to cooperate. I would say that on Broadway, and I mean, that everybody has off nights and that kind of thing, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see people laughing at, at junk they would not even watch on TV in a Broadway theater. Um, I just, we should say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, your, your audience is completely different. You, yeah. You're writing for people that are sitting home, you know, scarfing down bags of Cheetos the size of duffel bags with, you know, <laughs> with, with an absolute uh, drone face on. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're performing for people that are actually sitting with a bunch of people. And laughter is contagious, and that's the big difference, I think. Yeah. There, I'll, I'll give you one more example, because uh, <laughs> I went to see August Osage <laughs> County. Yeah, I got a million of them. Audiences are absolutely easy. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 you, say, you, say, you say toenail, and they're laughing. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Was, give us August Osage County. There's August Osage County. I'm watching the movie, and there's a line, something like, oh, where one the woman goes, oh, Bradley's special. And the other guy goes, he's not special. He's unemployed. And it played to dead silence in the mo in a packed movie theater, as it should have, because it's not funny. And <laughs> I remember getting this huge roar in 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 the theater because it's because it sounds like a joke. It's got the rhythm of a joke. It's everything a joke has except humor. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Heidi, as a person who maybe is working on that 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 era that does straddle drama and comedy, I I find sometimes in a theatrical setting that I'll be laughing at things that probably Mike wouldn't approve of that much. I'm thinking like maybe of Richard Nelson's Apple family plays, which are, you know, pretty serious plays about family dynamics. But there's something about the whole, the, the, a moment will become funny, maybe because all of us are sitting there and, and there's a, another group of human beings on stage. And, and, and yeah, maybe if I were sitting home eating Cheetos, this is a very incoherent question. Uh, <laughs> if I was sitting home eating Cheetos uh, out of a duffel bag, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be laughing. But there's, there's something about a human moment, the humanity that's there on stage and in the audience that makes people laugh. Does that make any sense at all? Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, first of all, those Richard Nelson actors are wonderful, wonderful actors, yeah. and also those plays aren't full of jokes. But you laugh at the human beings, at how um, frail they are and silly, and their their funny little egos and the weird things that they do. But there there aren't jokes in those plays, and 
I am certainly drawn to those kind of plays where the humor comes from strange, uh, very normal human behavior. Mm-hmm. And when we see it up close like that performance by, you know, marvelous actors, we laugh at it and we realize how funny we are just by being. Um, so we're going to take a break here. I'm exhausted already, and there's like 18 minutes to go. So uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, if you have uh, any reactions to this, uh, if you're listening, if you have your own theories of comedy, if you have your own theories about what makes you laugh, either in a theatrical or other kind of setting, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. We'll be back. the wrong time to mention my new project wikipedia the musical probably today's show was produced by betsy kaplan and me our interns are anna novak and katie pikas the part of bill curry was played by michael fassbender greg hill tweets for us at wnpr colin for links articles photos and videos of the faith middleton show staff workshopping ishtar as a tragedy visit our website wnpr.org on tomorrow's show the nose goes to see the movie her or as colin calls it annie Howe. And now, back to Colin. Louise, I'm here. Up in the clouds, as usual. What do you mean? Who was he? Who was who? Who was that gentleman? How do you know there was a gentleman here? I'm not deaf. And obviously not nosy. No, 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 I was cleaning my floor. Well, you know how when you're scrubbing, you put your ear down on the floor for leverage? Well, I mean, he was practically orating. What did he want? What do you think? Wanted by a gentleman? (laughs) I'd give ten years of my life. Where did he meet you? He saw me this morning. In all your glory? Bending over to retrieve them. And he sprang like a tiger. He was out of control. Choked to his roots. And you responded? No, of course not. He's renting the room from us. Ah, so your ascent to the heights makes sense. Uh, that's uh, Didi Khan, who is uh, talking to the ingenue in, uh, in, in the underpants, about underpants. In fact, they're also talking about this strange man who's come to visit. That's Brooke Moses playing the character of Rosati. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, so let me just reset the stage for you. We are talking about uh, theater, and we're talking particularly sort of about the comic side of theater. Heidi Schreck is the author of the new play, The Consultant, which is open last night at the Long Wharf Theater. runs through February 9th. Mike Reese is here with us. His newest play is A Comedy is Hard, is a other plays include I'm Connecticut and Rubble, uh, and uh, he's also a long time was a long time uh, comedy writer and producer for The Simpsons, also cre- <laughs> co-creator of The Critic. Are you still with The Simpsons? I'm still there. Are you still there? Unless you've heard something. Yeah. No, yeah. I just there was I something was there in, yesterday. There was something in, <laughs> something in Variety this morning, but I may have inter- misinterpreted it. Uh, and Brooke Moses and Dee Connor are here. They're both actors. They're in the underpants right now. So I mean, they're in their underpants right now. But they're also in the underpants. It's, I'm going commando. It's oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. So, so Dee I know we, I sort of during the break we were talking about this. So y- y- you sensed that I was sort of asking the question: Why? Why aren't there more comedies? Why aren't there more sort of pure? on stage comedies. First of all, is that, to your way of thinking, a valid perception? I think so. I mean, you look at Bill Maher, you know, the the kind of humor that comes out of, of the news of what's happening right now is is, is pretty sad. I yeah. mean it's not it's not inspiring. I mean my my first 
teacher was Harold Klerman. I mean, as a lecturer, I didn't. I studied a little bit of acting with him. I was towards the end of his his life, really. But what he talked about when he talked about the group theater and these Friday night talks to actors and writers and 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 with all his soul, he would enthusiasm. He would motivate people to write about the times and and have the theater reflect what was happening in the world and it was so in- inspiring you know that's where waiting for lefty came all this exciting um theater that's political in in, in nature and i mean there's just not a lot funny i mean there's happening in the world there's a lot of scary things mm. happening now so maybe that's why there's more about economics and more about um uh finances and 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 families, you know, uh, the difficulties of times now. Actually, I saw Bill Maher, a pseudolist in Funny Thing Happens in the Way of the Forum. He's not that good, actually, in that context. <laughs> uh, it's not that transferable a skill. Uh, our numbers, we go along, 860-275-7266. Although, Heidi Schreck, I sense in your philosophy, maybe you would say, well, maybe people shouldn't set out to write funny plays. They should have set out to write plays and let mm. the laughs fall where they may. Oh, no, I don't think that. I love funny plays. I uh, I hope people keep writing very funny plays. I That's just not what I I can do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, but I love pure comedy, uh, and I have huge uh, admiration for people who can write that. You know, I just want to, Mike, I want to come back to what some of the things you were saying before about sort of things that either are or aren't funny. Over the years, have you developed a theory about or any theories about why things are or aren't funny, what they have to sort of deliver to us in order to actually be funny? Um, I have a theory of how jokes work, which uh, I see our time's running out. And, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to bore you with this. There's a story I've been dying to tell, though, which was right. – uh, uh, I used to write for Johnny Carson because mm-hmm. I am 10,000 years old. And uh, I wrote him a Karnak one night. He was doing Karnak the Magnificent. And he did the joke, and it bombed. It bombed so badly. And he did one of his savers, and even that bombed. This is how bad the joke was. It sort of killed all humor around it. <laughs> so, okay, I wrote a bad joke. So six months later, Carson's doing Karnak again, and I go down to the set, and I'm looking at the cue cards, and I see somehow my rotten joke has made it back into the piece. (laughs) And I'm panicking because I just know, well, it's going to bomb again, and I'll get fired. And that night, he's doing Karnak Magnificent. He gets to that joke. He does it, and it got a huge laugh. And that was... That was a watershed moment in my life. I go, all right, nothing makes sense. You can never know. This is MIT couldn't have designed a better comedy experiment than this. And our proof is you just don't know what's going to happen or how people are going to react. What was the joke? I I don't want to tell you the joke because it stinks. <laughs> it, it does stink. It uh, it was bad. I, I have to say, in my defense, when you wrote for Carson. He demanded you write 60 jokes a day. And, I mean, I wish I had written oh, – he'd, he'd said write 10 good jokes a day. But he wrote – I had to write 60, 60 a day. And a day. this is one That's of the 38 time. that were no good that day. Wow. In fairness, the second time you did the joke, Masturbating Bear was standing behind Carson. <laughs> that was really why I laughed. That's anyway. Um, but, Burke, that must also happen night by night by night in the underpants or any comedy that you do, right? That one night – 
like last night, the joke uh, that got the biggest laugh was not what I thought. Well, I, 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 was the well, I do. A, I do a lot of musical comedy, and so we have these long runs. We can do it. I, I did Beauty and the Beast for for, for thousands, a thousand performances, and 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 comedy has the, again, it has this edge, and the audiences are different every night, and that's the difference from you know doing stage and doing television. You know, you you have like a Tuesday night audience, or or you have got a Wednesday matinee where where every other person is come with an auction tank so it's uh it's it's just a it's just a whole different uh, just when you think you got it you just don't it just flies away and something that's always a surefire laugh one night goes sour and then so the next night you try and that's why after it you know when you see the third bus and truck of book and mormon they're going to be screaming all their lines you try it a little louder get a, a laugh it's not quite as big and then you know then it goes away a week later and then you start getting louder and louder until everyone in the show is screaming all their lines and you try and stay away from that you know, Mike, do you I, I you and I have both actually done plays at Ivoryton and I had the experience of standing I had sort of the opposite of the Mike Reese experience uh, and um it, that I was I would be standing at the back of the theater every night and there was a joke in the show that I, I I thought was very funny. I don't even remember what the setup was, but the line was in this economy. And and every night I would be standing next to the lyricist. It was a musical comedy and I would say tonight Tonight they're going to laugh at this thing. <laughs> and it never, I mean, people laughed at a lot of other stuff. They laughed at stuff that I didn't think was funny. We had an actress who was so funny she could walk out on stage and say, I have a toothache, and people would start laughing, uh, and which I didn't think was funny. Um, and I, do, you, do you ever have that experience, the experience of writing something that you really do think is funny and it just doesn't seem to resonate? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, the, something that happens at The Simpsons when we're doing the, that script, that show is – Every script gets rewritten from top to bottom eight times. And if you wrote the greatest script in the world, by the time we get done with it, 80% of your material has been thrown out. And very often, 100% of your material has been thrown out. And you always just have to have faith that, well, it's going to be good. It'll be good enough when it hits TV. Uh, But, yeah, and it's the only way you can get fired at The Simpsons is if some guy comes in and goes, oh, don't cut that. Oh, you're wrecking it. Oh, that was a great joke. Uh, So, you know, you got to let it go. I think, again, that's something you learn from doing TV that you might not know if you just do, you know, have a couple of plays produced, which is, all right, let it go. You know, you may think it's funny. If, If everybody says it's not funny, it's not funny. You know, Heidi Schreck, having the opposite experience sometimes, which I'm guessing that or from things that you've said that you, you maybe do have with a consultant where people laugh at something that you wouldn't necessarily have. You might have thought that it was somewhat funny, but not like big laugh kind of funny. Is that teaching you anything about the psychology of people's reactions? In other words, I feel as though people laugh often when they feel violated in some way or as though some of their anxieties uh, are being crystallized in in, in a way that's maybe a little bit, you know, less harmful, less threatening? Uh, Yes, I think that's very true. Let me say, I want people to laugh. I'm not, I I would be disingenuous. (laughs) I didn't want people to laugh at my play. And uh, a lot of it is intended to be funny. And I feel very hurt when people don't laugh and I cut things and change things. Um, With this play, because it takes a turn, and I'm sort of experimenting with a play that is both incredibly uh, dark and funny. Uh, it's just, uh, it's tricky. Like, oh, we had opening night, which was wonderful, and we had a wonderful audience, but there's a lot of adrenaline, and, you know, as has been said before, it, people want to laugh at everything. And so 
because there's this kind of extra energy and people just wanting to laugh at anything that sounds like a joke, the story of the play can get lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had the governor of the of Connecticut the other night. He is a barrel of laughs, first at, of all. Well, everybody <laughs> was laughing. That It really perked everybody up to have this celebrity in the audience. Mm-hmm. And let, uh, let me say something about Dan Malloy. He loves a wiener joke about as much as anybody. <laughs> um, as much as anybody that I can think of. All right. So um, we're sort of having to kind of wrap things up a little bit here. I, I think what I'm going to mainly do here is, first of all, thank everybody who's cooperated with us uh, or stood still for what we're doing. Mike, uh, is comedy as hard as that? Uh, do we have a, a plan for staging that and seeing that and stuff like that? Yes, it will be at the Ireton Playhouse ah. in the town. Nobody knows where it is in uh, September, which is whatever, eight months from now. Yeah. So you won't remember the plug. So do come see it. <laughs> Um, well, we do want to come see that. And actually, what you should, should say about Ivoryton in the future is it is a town made possible on the backs of many poor dead elephants. Um, <laughs> yes. Which is, uh, but don't say that in Ivoryton because they are still actually still a little bit sensitive about this. Uh, Brooke Moses and Didi Khan, it's been so, so much fun to have you here, and it really the underpants is a ton of fun. It's really, uh, and I'm sure the governor would say that. Was the governor laughing that night? Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody was. was laughing. Yeah. yeah. Did you know where he was sitting and stuff? No, no, I didn't. I, I we didn't know until afterwards. But right. uh, we'll pretend you would recognize him because that would mean a lot to him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, and Heidi Shrek, I, I apologize for not having seen the consultant yet. I'm dying to see it. I'm getting down to Long Wharf uh, ASAP. Thank, Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be on. Thank you. All right. Uh, tomorrow on the nose, uh, we'll have uh, James Hanley, uh, Jim Chapdelaine, and Carolyn Payne in here. Um, all of us have seen the movie Her or Annie Hal, uh, and we'll be talking about that as well as other topics as well. Please join us for that, and please join us on the 22nd uh, at Watkinson School. That's next Wednesday. We're doing a show about the healing power of music. It'll be live at 7 p.m. at Watkinson School. You are invited. We'll have neuroscientists and musicians. They'll be performing. We'll have music therapists. Uh, it's both a panel discussion and a concert. Uh, you're welcome to come. I'm Kion Wolf with a killer idea. Finally, an opera about trigonometry. Cosine and sine are together, obviously, but tangent comes along and. Wait, do I have to know math for this? Ugh, screw it. <laughs>